let's turn up in our Bibles, please, uh, to the book of Matthew, chapter 9. And uh, we're, we're on our second week of uh, our Bless the City series. And we started last week and we had a phenomenal teaching from Pastor Sevier, Um And he spoke about God's heart matters. Uh, speaking from Luke 15, he spoke about the parable of the lost sheep. I remember that. When, 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 the, when the shepherd leaves uh, the 99 sheep. And goes after the one until he finds the one. And then celebrates with his friends because he has found the sheep that was lost. It was a powerful, powerful message. If you missed out and you were not here last week, I encourage you to get that uh, podcast. Um, it really will uh, be a blessing to you. This week we're going to look at our heart matters. So if God, God's heart matters... Uh, our heart matters, and, uh, and we take from God's heart, right? So we take our blueprint from the things that God cares about, um, and we apply those in our own lives uh, so that we are people after God's own heart. Amen. So have you found your way to Matthew 9? Awesome. When you get to Matthew 9, you can go to uh, verse 35. We're going to read a short portion of Scripture today, which I know is uncharacteristic. Uh, but what I want to encourage you is to go and do some self-study. Uh, so what I want to encourage you is uh, to, in fact, here, here's what I want you to do. We're reading from, from chapter 9 currently, but I want you to mark off chapter 5 in your, in your Bible. Because that's really where I want you to start reading from to have an appreciation for the story that we're about to read. Remember, we, we speak from time to time about the power of context. Um, and if we're really going to see the power of this particular scripture, then I, I want you to start reading uh, from, from chapter 5. It, it's, uh, it's, it's not a long read, um, and if you can, uh, you can read it in, in one sitting, and it'll be beneficial to you. Uh, in fact, if, uh, uh, I want you to read it this today still, while it's still fresh, um, so when, when carte blanche comes on and you still haven't read, let that be a, a, a reminder to you. OPW for um, compact, compact subscribers. <laughs> Come on now. Okay, so we, we have it, we're going to read it together since we have it up here. Are you guys ready? Let's go. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest." Amen. Jesus makes an observation, which we'll talk about now. But as I said, to get the full picture of the observation that Jesus is making, you have to take a few steps back. In fact, Jesus, makes, when he makes this observation, 
that my people are scattered like sheep without a shepherd is not making the statement in isolation, right? He is making an overarching statement. He's not looking at this particular group of people that he was dealing with on this day and finding them to be particularly pitiful. He's making an observation on the crooked system that he was seeing, which was designed to cause the people to fail. And so if we take a few steps back, Jesus had just performed some great miracles, had called a few of his disciples when he came to this point of making this observation. But before then, he is standing on on a mountainside, on a hillside, and delivers one of his quintessential sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts to relate to the people the details of what the kingdom is like. And so as he's detailing to these people, this is what the kingdom is like. And he walks through the villages and the cities, and he finds himself in this area now where he looks at these people, and he goes, these people are without a shepherd. There are many observations that he has made along the way. And when we look at these observations that Jesus makes, and we hold them in contrast with the teachings that the people were receiving at that stage, we start to understand where Jesus was coming from. So Jesus was declaring a kingdom that is very much counterintuitive to the reality that the people were used to. So in, in this sermon, and by the way, as, as he details it, it, it spans about three chapters as he's detailing what the kingdom is like. But one of the things he says is do not judge, which is a weird thing to say to people who've spent a lifetime learning how to judge and to judge one another based on, a certain, on, 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 on rules that they had received, rules that they, that they lived by, which taught them how to judge. And he comes and says, do not judge. He says to them, do not worry. To a people who had been taught how to worry well. How to worry about every single thing, even down to how much of your herbs and spices you would tithe. Worry about everything because your salvation depends on it. Because their salvation was based on works and observation of rules. So they had to worry about absolutely everything. He says to them, keep asking, seeking, and knocking. He's coming with a counterintuitive principle when he's presenting what the gospel or what the kingdom is really like. He presents to them a higher reality of the kingdom. So he says to them, murder begins in the heart. Up until that point, they had been told that when you kill somebody without cause, that is murder. Jesus says to them, if you have hate in your heart for your brother, you have murder in your heart. He says to them, adultery is a matter of the heart. 
Up until then, they had been told that if you jump into the sack with a person who is not your spouse, you have just committed adultery. Jesus says, no, not in the kingdom. In the kingdom, when you have entertained lust in your heart, you're on the path to adultery. He speaks this, he says, marriage is binding in a society that was, was teaching them that, you know what, when you're tired of things, just issue your wife a certificate of divorce and be done with it. He says, there's a higher reality in the kingdom. In the kingdom, marriage is binding. In another place, as he continues to teach, he, say, he says to them that, that, that do, not, do not swear oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. He's saying to them, you know all the, all the oaths that you're doing and all the, all the things that you do around that and all the cultural practices and you swear by this one and that one and the highest oath being by God and if I swear in God's name that you know that I'm really serious, he says, take all of that stuff and put it away. Just do what you say you're going to do. Just mean what you say. And then you don't have to bind yourselves to oaths. And so, as he is traveling along this countryside, the statement of sheep without a shepherd in this context doesn't necessarily mean that the people had no shepherds. They had religious leaders of the day. But what he's saying is that the shepherds are no shepherds at all. They are wolves and thieves who are busy fleecing the flock instead of protecting it, overburdening the people instead of making it easy for them to come to God. And he is seeing the nature, the nature of the society is that it is ununified and scattered. And so he makes this observation. He says, these people are leaderless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're burdened, they're wearied, they're tired, they're emaciated, which makes sense that they would have little faith and, and be weak because they were not receiving the truth and the word of God. They were receiving cultural practices and customs. It is the word of God that makes us strong. It is the truth of God that embeds conviction in us. But when we base our lives on customs, principles, and cultural practices, our souls grow weary and weak. Jesus, though, looks upon these people, and the Scripture tells us that He is moved with compassion. He is moved with compassion. Compassion is a trait that it seems to me followed Jesus around. In fact, his ministry was marked by compassion. He often related with people from a place of compassion, from a place of understanding their context, being willing to connect with them. And so when Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman, remember the story of the woman at the well? That interaction was potentially offensive. In fact, I would even go so far as to say that the woman was trying to press his buttons. 
But Jesus was able to look past that. He was able to look past the abrasiveness. He was able to look past the potential offense and to see the desperate person, the broken person who was desperate to be made whole. And that's who he connected with. Remember the story of, 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 the, of the demoniac, the man who was possessed by many demons and he lived out in the tombs in the land of the Gurgarines and, and Jesus goes and meets with him and, and this man is isolated and living amongst the tombs because people were afraid of him. People, people didn't know what to do with him and he was cast out into this area and Jesus goes and talks to him. And where everybody else sees this wild creature of a man to be feared and avoided, Jesus sees a desperate man desperate to be freed. And he connects with that person. I want to remind you of the story that Pastor Siv spoke about last week of the woman who was caught in adultery. And how Jesus, in that moment, resisted the urge to be swept along with the wave of judgment. Everybody was in a frenzy. She was caught in adultery. Stone her. Kill her now. Jesus was anchored by compassion. He looks at her and he is moved by compassion. And he protects her. And where everybody else sees a loose and adulterous woman, Jesus sees a woman who is desperate. Jesus sees a woman who is victimized by the very system that now protected the man that she was with. Ever notice how the man doesn't play any part in the story? Jesus becomes the protector because he was moved by compassion. When you look at people, what do you see? Are you moved by compassion? Are you, are you curious to know people's story, to connect with them? The story is told of Julius Caesar who, having won a swift victory in battle, sends these uh, what have become immortal words, uh, basically detailing his victory. He says, Veni, Vidi, Vici. I came, I saw, I conquered. Look at me. Jesus, when he takes his disciples, takes them to the harvest field, opens their eyes to see the harvest field, and instructs them to pray. Today, Jesus is the most influential figure in all of history. Julius Caesar might as well be a storybook character. I think if Jesus was discipling Julius Caesar, he might have told him to phrase his victory statement this way. Veni, vidi, orabat. I came, I saw, I prayed. You see, Instead of trying to be the all-conquering hero, Jesus was teaching his disciples in this moment that if you want to build compassion, if you want to connect with people, there are three things that you have to do. You have to go to where the people are. You have to go to people. You have to notice people. You have to pray for people. If you are trusting for God to open your heart to help you to develop a heart of compassion, go to where people are. Notice people. 
and pray for those people. See, going, going to people speaks of proximity, right? Going to people speaks of getting, getting close to them. It's difficult to be compassionate from far. You can achieve maybe empathy from far. You definitely can achieve judgment from far. But compassion, for you to achieve compassion, takes proximity. You have to get closer. And the thing, and the thing with, with going, right? So we, yesterday, in fact, we, we were celebrating on our, on our staff group as a, uh, sorry, yesterday on Friday, as two missions teams were heading off, uh, one kid's team heading off to Mpumalanga and another young adult's team heading off to Swaziland on mission. They were doing what? They were practicing this first principle of going to where the people are. If you've never been on a mission trip, I want to encourage you to take advantage of missions as they come up. Go on mission. Go and allow Jesus to take you to the harvest field. Now, the good news is the harvest field really is all around you. You just have to have a, a willingness in your heart to go and connect with people and where people are at. So proximity is key in developing compassion. I love that Jesus went to the villages, he went to the cities, and he went to the synagogues. See, Jesus developed proximity with the rich and the poor. He developed proximity with those who were seeking spiritual wisdom. He didn't differentiate. He, he developed proximity with all people so that people could be won over. And in our compassion, in our going, in our connecting, let us not write people off because of their station in life, because of their economic status, because of where they live, because of their level of education. Jesus connected with people in the villages, in the cities, and even the wise men in the synagogues. So if we are going to connect with people, we have to go. The second thing we have to do if we're going to connect with people is we have to see people, notice people. Scripture says Jesus saw the multitudes. Oftentimes, I, I will be walking somewhere and maybe to meet with somebody and they say, did you, did you see all those people gathered in that, in, in that area. I wonder what's going on. And I didn't even notice because I was so focused on getting to my final destination. Jesus is pointing out a lesson to me here. Notice people. In your daily living, in your daily going, notice people. Not just when I go on mission. Those are awesome times when I go on mission and I notice people. But in my daily going, in my daily interacting, in my daily connecting, Notice people, notice their state, notice their context. The scripture says Jesus looked at them and he recognized that they were harassed, that they were weary, that they were burdened, that they were dis, there was disunity and that they had no real kingdom leadership. And it moved him, it grieved him, it moved him 
with compassion because what they were being taught, what they were being fed was distancing them further from God as opposed to bringing them closer to Him. And so He puts this challenge before His disciples. He says, my people are harassed. Look at them. They, they are weary. Look at them. They are burdened. Notice them. He's leaving his disciples with principles that they ought to apply for the rest of their ministry here on earth. That it is not just about noting how big the crowd was, how big the, the multitude was. What did you notice about that multitude? And here's the third and final thing that Jesus details to his guys. Having, having, having gone, having gone with him, having noticed the people, he says this to them. He says, therefore, pray. Very, very simple solution to, to a seemingly overwhelming situation. Jesus, we have no direction. We have no vision. We are not united. We're not sure where, we, where, where to go, he says. Pray. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So, if you, have, if you are going and you are noticing, take responsibility for what you are noticing. And pray that the Lord of the harvest would bring laborers and raise up laborers for the harvest field. As you pray, you do well to look yourself in the mirror and go, I'm a laborer. Send me, Lord. Sometimes it's easy to go walk past the situation. Lord, just send somebody to, to assist there. I hope everything's going to work out. Maybe Jesus has brought you into that situation so that you can be the solution. You can be the laborer who reaps that harvest. And so he says to them, pray. I think a lot of the time the reason we don't pray is, one, because we may struggle to believe, really, in the power of prayer. But two, I, I found that in my personal capacity, I would often reason that I don't have the time. I don't have the time. I'm, I'm getting somewhere, which was a weird thing. I'll, I'll pray for it. When I, before, before I go to bed, I'll remember to pray for that situation. Somebody shares something with me and I'm going, I'll pray for you. I'll remember to pray for you before I go to bed. Why? Because I'd made prayer this supremely reverent thing where I needed to be by myself in my room, on my knees, and, you know, get my prayer voice on. Lord Jesus Thou art, you know, pull out the King James, thou, thou art great among all the stars. But often when, when we do that, it's because we're missing actually the point and the power of prayer. Here's what prayer is. Prayer is talking to God. So what I've learned to do now is when, when I walk past a situation, drive past, the, sometimes I drive past an accident site. And instead of going, I must remember to pray for that in my long list of things when I pull out my King James. 
He's going, Lord, please be with the people in that, in that accident. Heal them. Please even use this situation to bring them closer to you. And, and, then, and then I move on to my next thing. I've prayed. I didn't, I didn't kneel. I didn't close my eyes. I didn't do, do, do any of the religious stuff, but I've prayed. Why? Because I've spoken to God on behalf of somebody else. And so when you're praying for the harvest, you're praying for the Lord to raise up laborers in the harvest field, there are going to be times when Jesus is calling you to spend hours before him crying out for the harvest, crying out for the lost to be saved. And there are going to be a few times when you're chatting to a friend and you can quickly say a two, three-minute prayer, even a 30-second prayer, because the power of prayer is not in how many words you use. It's in the faith that you're applying to that prayer. So as we are following Jesus, we who are the disciples of Jesus, here's what Jesus is saying to us. Here is the principle that Jesus is wanting to lay in our own hearts. He's saying, follow me. Follow me. Where, do, where does Jesus lead them, his disciples? He leads them to the harvest. So he's saying to you and I, follow me. And he's leading us to the harvest. Then he's opening our eyes and he's saying, open your eyes and look at the harvest. It is ready. It is ripe. You know when you look at somebody and you know there's a tug in your heart to, I, need, I want to share the gospel with this person, but I'm supremely intimidated. And I don't know where to start. Here's what Jesus is saying. That person is ripe for the picking. The labor is off you, but that person is ready, primed. I've gone ahead of you. Next time you have that tug in your heart to go and share the gospel with somebody and that intimidation starts to set in, remember that Jesus has already declared that the harvest is plentiful, it is ready, it is ripe. All it is waiting for is to be picked. And allow that to embolden you as you step up to be. Often I find that the, the, the first chicken line is just the greeting. As soon as I greet somebody and I introduce myself, I find that, whew, actually, all the things that I'd imagined would happen, you know, they didn't roundhouse kick me, they didn't, like, <laughs> I'd imagined all these things uh, that were terrible that could happen if I started a conversation with this person, but none of them happened. And actually, many times, I find that people are open to having a discussion. So I want to encourage you that as you notice people, Here's the other principle that we, we ought not to miss, which, which we mentioned. Notice the context. Notice their state. So, you know, I'm just talking about me now. Sometimes I would see somebody and think, sheesh, I need to share the gospel with that person. But they're like in a tailored suit and they've got the shoes and, you know, and, 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 and the watch and, and, and the walk. And I'm thinking, this person doesn't need Jesus. What am I going to tell? What, what am I selling? What? <laughs> so, so, sometimes when somebody is in a difficult situation, it's easy to go, brother, you need Jesus. When they're in sin, it's easy to go, you need Jesus. When that person looks like they've got it all together, I all of a sudden feel intimidated and I'm going, hey, which part of the kingdom am I going to sell to this person? <laughs> Seems like I've got it all sorted out. 
But remember Jesus, who saw past the facade, who saw past the clothes, past the pretense, past the, 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 the status, past the titles, past all of these things, to speak directly to the person. So now I've just decided, you know, all people are wounded and all people need Jesus. I don't care what clothes you use to cover it up. So I'm just going to preach the gospel. Notice people, preach the gospel. And then pray that the Lord would continue to give me courage, continue to open doors, but that he would rally people to do the same. And this is, in this church, we have, we have connect groups, which are an awesome community that you can be part of, of people who are going to hold you accountable to the preaching of the gospel, who are going to hold you accountable to doing and walking in obedience. And so if you are not in a connect group, I want to encourage you, join a connect group. Share, share the stories, whether it's a win or it's a fail, share the stories and encourage one another and hold one another accountable to the preaching of the gospel. As, as we're working through um, the, the blessed series, there's particular activations um, that we look to do each, um, each week. So last week we spoke about, uh, within the blessed uh, acronym, we spoke about uh, blessed with words. And I hope that you've taken time in this past week to both pray for people and to speak with them, affirming and blessing with words. This week, what I'd love to put before you is listen to the Holy Spirit. So as you're trusting God for opportunities to share the gospel, to walk a spiritual journey with people, listen to the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to lead you. Allow Him to lead you to the people that you need to speak to. Allow Him to lead you with the words uh, that you need to say. Allow Him to lead you with, or to, to, to whisper to you what it is that people need. Remember that guy in the suit with the shoes? There's a specific word that Jesus has for that guy. And if I allow Jesus to speak to me and the Holy Spirit to minister through me, I can impact that guy in his specific area of need. And then I don't have to worry about which part of the kingdom do I sell to this guy. I'm going, Lord, what is his need? What is his wound? And how can I minister directly into that? Let's stand together. I want to I I pray uh, very quickly for those, for those people who... Who, who are trusting God for this activation, who are trusting God to go, I, I, Lord, I want to hear from you, and I want to I obey as you lead. And, and I want us to have an adventure this week. As I listen to you and as I go, if, if that is you, I want to pray for you. So would you just lift up your hands? If you're going, Lord Jesus, I want to trust you to hear from you, to see from you, to, to, to receive something from you for other people. And so, Father, I pray that you would see all of these hands raised. And I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes of the Spirit, that you would help them with discernment to hear from you, that, Father, you would lead them and that you would give them just a grace for, for, for boldness. Lord, help them to notice the people that are in their harvest field. Help them to see the people that you're calling to them. 
Lord, I pray for awesome conversations to be had throughout the week. Lord, as people are crossing over the chicken line, even if it's just that initial greeting, as people are crossing over and going, I want to connect with people. Father, I pray that you would help them to remember at all times that the harvest is ready and ripe for the picking. And Lord, that you have called each one of these people to be laborers in your harvest field. So Father, I pray for visions and dreams. I pray for words of knowledge, words of wisdom. I pray for encouragements to bubble up in, the, in, in their hearts. Father, things that you would give them to share that would be keys that unlock people's hearts, that they would be willing to hear your gospel and to receive your good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.